Welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone, and I am the host of the show, and I'd like to thank you for joining us on this special international edition of the podcast. And we have a lot of players out on international duty. We have uh, players who are making their first appearances for their for their country at the senior level. Uh, we have players who are captaining their sides for the first time, and we have players who are just filling in their normal roles uh, for their international squad. And we have players out there that are that are on fire. We have players out there that are trying to find form. And on today's show, we will kind of do a little bit of a, of a roundup of, of some of the bigger talking points of the international break. And some players are out there doing things that you just can't teach. And uh, one of those players would be Shane Long kind of jumping in uh, to help his teammate out after that that terrible tackle and that, that horrible leg break that Seamus Coleman uh, suffered. We like to wish him uh, the best, and it, it, I'm sure that the replays are out there, and that you've seen this or you've heard about it. So we won't, um, you know, describe it in graphic detail. But uh, Shane Long jumped in there, and there was an article that came out about him helping uh, Seamus Coleman with some breathing techniques that he learned during his wife's labor, and um, you know that hug that he did, that he just kind of comforted uh, Seamus Coleman in that in that in that moment. Um, that is something that you can't teach. He's not in the best of form right now, but that just shows the kind of guy that he really is. And kind of on that note, the understanding the unteachables, uh, something that you just can't kind of teach or coach, uh, that is something that Blake Hampton, our guest today, is here to talk to us about. And after we're done with that, we will run down the bigger talking points of the international break. So I hope uh, you, you enjoy the show. Uh, stick around towards the end of the show. There will be a chance to win a copy of Mark Sanderson's book, my guest from last week, uh, Bobby Stokes, the man from Portsmouth who scored Southampton's most famous goal. So be sure to stick around towards the end of the show and and learn how you can enter uh, a chance to win a, a copy of that book. So I uh, hope you enjoy the show. And uh just a reminder that you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes, Acast, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're having trouble finding the podcast, let me know and I will do my best to assist you. So uh, with that, I'd like to welcome to the show Blake Hampton. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at SFC underscore Blake. And he's also the owner of at 12th Man Sport. And he writes for Top Flight Talk and Reed Southampton. And on this Monday evening, afternoon-ish, he has he has joined us to uh, talk about one of his latest articles and also run through some of the international news that we have uh, from the Southampton squad. So, Blake, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Glad we were able to uh, kind of, you know, make it work out. Um, so if you, if you wouldn't mind, before we kind of jump into the article and all that stuff, uh, do you want to give us a, a rundown of, of, of 12th Man Sport and kind of what you do for Top, top Flight Talk in Reed Southampton? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I just you know, started watching Southampton when I was, when I was a little bit younger. And, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of time right now, so I thought I'd get into uh, some journalism. You know, I, I started out with a, with a couple of articles with Reed Southampton. Um, and I, I got really good feedback from writing these pieces. And one of my articles that I wrote, um, you know, I got quite a bit of publicity and I top flight talk, uh, the other one that I write for, they reached out for me and asked if I wanted to write for them as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm typically writing feature pieces. Uh, I, I really like to hone in on 
behavior and uh, psychology on different aspects of the game, players, organizations, individuals. Um, and so I kind of wanted to implement that into my own site as well. And so that's where uh, 12th Man Sport comes from. I, uh, a few of my friends, you know, we got together and decided we wanted to get out our own stuff as well um, on our own site. And so we, we got together and did that. Nice. And so, and that's relatively new, but, um, you guys are, are you going to write more kind of pieces like the one we're going to talk about here or is it, is it, is that kind of the, the, the focus maybe? Well, kind of the focus is we, because we love doing this, but a lot of the places that I've written for in the past, they're kind of guiding you to write in a certain way. And so I, I wanted this to be very open and being able to write about what you enjoy writing about. And so I have about four to five other other guys that are writing alongside writing alongside with me, and so we're we're writing about just what interests us, you know, rather than kind of focusing towards a specific audience. So for me personally, I'm going to be writing a lot of pieces, uh, like the one that we're about to talk about, and you know, some some of the guys they really like to look at the uh, tactical side of games and everything like that. They they like to really dive into the depths of. Uh, you know, matches and other aspects of that. So it, it, it's going to be a little all over the place, but it's based more on our passion rather than guiding towards a certain audience. All right. So kind of whatever kind of analysis you're into, it'll be there, whether it's tactical or psychological yeah. or whatever. So you have a little something for everybody. So be sure to yeah. encourage people to uh, to check that out. And, and I guess that's as good of a segue as any into the article that you wrote, Understanding the Unteachables, a Psychological Approach to the Game published by Top Flight Talk, and you can find it on topflighttalk.co.uk. I got, got through it. Um, so if people want to find it, they can find it on topflighttalk.co.uk. And also, I, there were, I believe there were links to it on your on your Twitter account. So what kind of pushed you to write this type of an article or, or kind of maybe even what pushed you to even look at the, at the game of, of football or soccer uh, in, this, in this manner? Well, uh, you know, behavior and psychology has always been something that's been of interest to me. I know when I was, uh, you know, when I, when I played soccer back in high school, um, I really focused in on a lot of, you know, something that I'm going to talk about later is called the unteachables. Um, I think there's kind of this perspective in sport uh, these days that, um, you know, the, it's a very mathematical game nowadays where people are looking at the analytics and people are looking at the tactics uh, but one of the things that I think is getting neglected uh, significantly is the psychological side of the game, uh, specifically in soccer. You know, a lot of these games in uh, the United States here, uh, such as football, basketball, things like that, it's just a bunch of gladiators hitting each other. And soccer is a lot more of a, you know, a chess match, a psychological chess match. And uh, so I, I just don't think that it's necessarily viewed upon the psychology side of games and how that can affect a team. I mean, you have all these players, especially in the English Premier League, where you have all these people at this high level. And so what's separating these players that all have the same technical, same athletic abilities? And most of it is going to be from what I call the unteachables. So the, the unteachables are pretty much things such as leadership, communication, mental toughness, drive. Um, these are all things that coaches dream that they could teach players to have uh within them but they they don't they have to they have to come from an individual and so that's what's separating 
for example, you know, Nagolo Kante and Paul Pogba from each other this year, you know, are, are those, there's unteachable sides of the game. Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And you hear people kind of talk about, if they talk about the, maybe the untangibles or intangibles, whatever the word is. And it's usually, you know, it's just your, it's your mind. Like how are they mentally, are they mentally tough and are they going to work hard? And some people think it's completely kind of, kind of overrated. But um, I guess your argument would be that these, this is what separates, you know, the people who are, who maybe have all the physical gifts and who aren't getting it done from those who, you know, even if they're not quite as physically talented, what can push over that line? Is that kind of how you view it? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there, there's two different ways that you can look at it. You can look at it through an individual player's aspect, and then you can look at it from a whole team perspective. Uh, when you're looking at it from a player's point of view, um, there are a lot of players that are trying to make it into the Premier League or any sort of soccer league. And uh, there, you know, there, there's a top 5% where these players, uh, you know, they, they are of very high worth to their team and they mean a lot to their organization. And if there are a few mental lapses, you know, whether that lasts um, a game, two months, an entire season, they're going to be able to bounce back the next year and the coach isn't going to think anything of it. Uh, they're, they're going to give them the opportunity because of how much they are worth to the team. But, you know, when you're looking at the other 95%, you know, uh, not all of them, but a good majority of those players, they are going to be replaceable at the end of the day. So when you're having these players, you know, that are all so close in talent, there's so many of them, there's, you know, there's only going to be a certain two to 3% that's separating them from each other. And these two to 3% is all going to be coming from the psychological side of things, your mental toughness, your drive, your leadership, um, you know, when, when you're when you're so close on the scale of your physical attributes and your technical ability and things like that, I mean, what else is going to separate you besides you know what's going on in your mind? Um, it's it's one thing to be able to train your body to do the certain things, and all these players have that. The thing that is may not be being trained in a way that will get you to that top level is your mind, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. And when you're looking at it from a team perspective, you know, if you if you don't have that mental toughness towards the end of the game, I mean, how many games have we seen where these teams are winning in the 90th minute, you know, or an extra time and things like that? Uh, you know, the, you, you see these teams that are winning by one to two percent every single game. And you're looking at these and it's not because, you know, on paper, these teams look very similar. And the, so it's not necessarily, you know, not always the talent that's going to end up winning you the game. It's these mental lapses, these mental breakdowns. And I don't think that's looked into enough in the game of soccer. So I, as you're talking, I think one of the, one of the things that comes to mind is, is, uh, you know, the Barcelona PSG game a few weeks ago where, yeah. you know, <laughs> both teams are, are super talented. Uh, Barcelona, obviously before first leg was played, everybody kind of would have assumed that Barcelona would have won that and gone through. But after kind of that first match was over, um, we went into the second leg as the game went on. It really looked like kind of PSG didn't have a shot. Like they, they knew they, they couldn't hack it. And everybody on the Barcelona squad kind of looked like, like we got this and we're going to do this. And is that kind of, you know, kind of what your is that, would that be a good example uh, of your article or your, um, of, of psychology playing, playing a role in this, or was that more just maybe the talent, uh, of Barcelona just being too good for PSG? Well, you know, I, I think if you look at both these teams, you know, Barcelona isn't going to end up scoring, you know, that many goals every single game against PSG. 
uh, I, you know, I, I think that's kind of the perfect example because when you're going into a game uh, thinking that you're already up, you have this like lapse in your, you know, on, on the psychological side of each team. Barcelona is having all this motivation, ambition to get all these goals, and PSG is thinking to themselves, well, we, we already have this. And so when you have that sort of imbalance, um, you know, within the, just from the beginning of the game, uh, you're, you're not setting yourself up for too much success. Now, the thing that I'm talking about, that's not going to win you or lose you the game. You know, th- there was a lot of other aspects that went into that unreal breakdown from PSG. Uh, but, you know, ha- having that sort of mindset to start out with and then towards the end of the game when, you know, Barcelona was starting to pile it on, I think they scored, what, three goals in the last, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, yeah, so, whatever it was at the yeah. end of the game, that, that, that's kind of where you were starting to see this psychological breakdown. Their morale is really dropping. Uh, there's no mental toughness. There's mo- no drive. All the communication is starting to go down. Everyone's becoming frustrated. Uh, you know, that, that, that will be a, you know, very good uh, example of a psychological breakdown of the game. As I said, that's that's not everything to the game. There was, right. there was a lot of things no. that PSG did wrong. <laughs> yeah, but 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 like you said, it's that it's that ability in the last ten minutes to kind of look at one another as a team and say like, we all have jobs to do. This is what we need to do. And instead, it turned to you know slumped shoulders, dropped heads, and and a bunch of finger pointing. Exactly. And, and that, you know, ultimately, maybe that wasn't necessarily the only thing, but it definitely contributed. In that, like you said. It, they they only Barcelona only, only went through by one by one goal, you know, and it it doesn't have to be a ten goal margin. It, it was only one, and they could have maybe pre- prevented that had they had just that extra two or three percent. So yeah, you, you do say in the article that maybe the, the the world of football kind of overlooks this a little bit. And what if anything, even though they they seem to have the resources and stuff, why maybe do they fail to to utilize psychology, uh, maybe to its fullest extent? And and do, also, do you think that's just in the Premier League, or do you think that's in 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 world football as a whole? Um, I you know I, I think there's a couple of reasons why it's not necessarily looked upon in the English Premier League. And from the the way that I dove in, because you know I've, I've looked at a few other leagues, I obviously have not looked at all of them, but it kind of seems like psychology is almost frowned upon in soccer. And uh, you know we we can we can kind of talk about that a little bit later. But one of one of the reasons why you know I I don't think it's really necessary looked upon right now is because the, the, there's this perspective that soccer and sports are kind of on this uh, mathematical analytic uh, you know kind of society that we have right now. People you, you know you can go to articles now and they are breaking down the game in a way that I never even thought was possible. You know I I really like the analytics. I love to see how uh, people break down those games but you know there i think that kind of leaves a lot to be desired on the psychology side and it's, maybe it's not necessarily that they're they're ignoring it as much as they're focusing their time so much on these analytics and i, I mean w- when we're looking at these games you know the analytics aren't going to help you show that barcelona is about to score six goals on psg in a game the analytics are not always right, and people are wondering how are the analytics, how are they getting it wrong? And so when you're when you're looking at that from a you know from that kind of perspective, and you're wondering how the analytics are wrong so often, and how the tactics and all of these things begin to fall apart, 
um, a lot of people aren't even looking at the, you know, psychological side of things. And one of the things that is, you know, not being shown, there's no techniques to show, you know, how much this can affect the game. There's a lot of techniques to show the analytics, the tactical side of things. And you know, obviously, obviously that's what most people are showing. But there's no techniques and no studies being done to show how the unteachables and things like this are impacting the game. So we don't know how much it is, but, you know, we, we have so many cases that show that how much these really can impact the game. Yeah, I mean, and there's been huge advances in the number of things that they can you know, measure, uh, whether it be speed or dribbles or, you know, what all, all of these other, um, things, anything you can give a FIFA rating for and, 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 and pick your players that way and they fit a certain mold and all that stuff. But kind of like you said, it, it, there, there isn't really a way at least yet to, to kind of put a, a number next to how this works. And I think when I think about it, I think that might be part of the reason that, you know, it's maybe not used as effectively because we, but we kind of want to see the the proof in the numbers, and we we tend to believe those things uh, a little bit more. But I'm not sure how how you feel about that, or really how how you see this going in the future. Whether you see a move towards that, or or do you think you know we'll kind of just continue to kind of ignore it a little bit? Yeah, it's uh, you know what, one of the things that's interesting to me, and one of the things that I really like to observe um, is you know kind of as you were mentioning, you know there 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 isn't a way to measure it. And there, you know, those things such as your leadership, your communication, uh, your work ethic and your drive, when these managers are going out and scouting these players, that's something that you can't scout. And that's something that you can't necessarily know, like, you know, tell when you're watching them play. And you never know when these players are going to get at a point where they're comfortable in their careers and may dial it back even. Uh, you know, one, one of the examples, uh, there are, you know, players will have some contract years, but in other sports here in the United States, when they are on their final year of the contract, you'll see their numbers inflated significantly. You'll see that they, they have career years in the year that they're trying to get a new contract. But then the year after that, when they get that big contract, all of a sudden they stop playing in a way that you remember them playing. And so when you're looking at a player, you can look at all the numbers you want. You can look at all the statistics, but if they don't have that internal drive and if they get to a place where they are comfortable out there on the field and they're not necessarily working to progress in their careers, you may not get the the, the player that you originally thought. And so a lot of these players, you know, when men, the one that always sticks out to me is when Manchester United brought in Angel Di Maria. You know, he was supposed to be this absolute superstar, and he just never really came through for Manchester United for one reason or another. And uh, and now he's back over at uh, PSG, and you know, playing playing all out because maybe he had that uh, you know failed stint over at Manchester United and realized that he needs to really step it up. So, uh, you know, no one there really is no way to tell. You know, with the current techniques that we have, and it's in, you know it's interesting to kind of see how the mental perspective of a player who could be so talented, uh, you know, makes their career go in a way that we wouldn't have necessarily realized. Yeah. And the other example that comes to mind, um, I almost whispered it while you were, uh, while you were talking is Jose Font, you know, he gets, he, he kind of worked so hard. He worked his way into the Portugal squad late in his career, you know, wins the euros and then comes back and just, like you said, just doesn't look to be the same player. doesn't look like the, like his mentality is all there, like his, his focus is there. And maybe all of the little things he was doing beforehand 
to make sure he was mentally prepared and physically prepared and all that stuff. Maybe he just kind of, you know, he lets it slip a little bit and he's just not quite the same guy that he was a year, just a year ago. And now, you know, we get to see all the West Ham tweets that you know, come in about you know, <laughs> uh, how, how we should, we should take them back. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that Di Maria, uh, example is, is a good one. And also like, do you think that in some way that the role of psychology is kind of being left out of, of football because of the way maybe that uh, psychologists are, are kind of viewed in, in, in society uh, outside of football? Like, do you think there's a correlation there or, or how would you, how would you kind of describe that relationship? Yeah. So, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is that I, I think that soccer is such a mentally driven sport that it is interesting that they don't include psychology the way that they should. Um, you know, I, I think that a lot of people have the perspective that a psychologist is someone who's going to sit you down on the couch and ask you about your feelings. And that couldn't be, you know, farther from the truth. You know, these, these are human beings that we're dealing with. You know, we watch them on TV and, you know, the, the players and the managers, we, we think of them as these superstars, but in actual reality, these are human beings that are trying to make a living. And things will always come up in life that is going to drag down your, you know, your mental imperative and being able to function clearly out there on the pitch. And so although people think that these psychologists will literally just sit them down and ask them, you know, how they're feeling and everything, um, you know, it, it, it will give them the ability to, you know, maybe get some things off their chest and help their, you know, mental perception that they're able to play at the peak of their mental capacity. And this is very important because, as I said, you know, you have these players in these teams that are all within one to two percent of each other. And if you're able to max that out on every single game, then you're not necessarily having to blame the psychology side of things, which you know, in a, in a perfect world, those are all perfectly instilled within you. Um, but, you know, m- most players would be, you know, embarrassed or teams would just, you know, keep it down low that there's a psychologist in the building just because of that public perception of what a psychologist actually does. Yeah, yeah. There are sports psychologists out there, obviously, and they, they do work with people. But like you said, it's not really a very open, certainly very open a window. We don't really get to see into that very often, I guess. And I think part of it at least is like you said, what, how society perceives, um, psychologists and even like kind of uh, maybe taking a step back, you know, it's just seen as being weak. If you go to a, a counselor or a psychologist or whatever, some people just view that as like, Oh, you shouldn't need that. Or oh, obviously there's something wrong with you. And I think that my generation, I'm kind of on the, the cusp of, of dealing with that. And I think as, as, as I, as a, I, I'm a high school teacher, so as I see these kids coming through my, my class, more and more of them are, are starting to be more okay and more open with, you know, admitting that they have seen a counselor, they have seen a psychologist, or, you know, they believe that this is, 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 a, is something that can help them. Whereas, you know, when I went to school, it was like, man, you don't talk about that because obviously you're the weird kid that, you know, has to talk about his feelings all the time. So it'd be interesting to see kind of how this moves forward. But um, what do you think needs to happen in order for psychology to become more of a more of a part of, of, of the culture of football? Well, I, I think it all starts with the top of the food chain. So you're looking at the owners of these clubs and the managers. They need to make uh, this an environment where it feels socially acceptable to have these psychologists in the building and to be able to utilize them in the greatest form. 
uh, I actually got to interview a performance psychologist. His name was Dr. Barry Cripps. And uh, one of the things that he talked about is, um, you know, because I told, you know, kind of what I mentioned earlier, players are so exchangeable uh, in the league. You know, there, there are a lot of players that really can just be intertwined and it'll almost be the exact same result. And so players have this perception that, if, you know, Dr. Barry Cripps talked about when players, they, if they think they're going to admit that something's wrong, they think that the managers are going to drop them from the team. Um, so they, they often don't tell anyone. And so that kind of starts with the, you know, top of the food chain. All, all, all we really do as a fan base and as a manage and as the management, you know, of the, uh, of the organizations, if, if something is wrong and individually and socially with an individual, all anyone is really giving them is reluctant compassion. There's not much other treatment because if, if you know, if you're spending extra time, uh, you know, in, in your career, having to deal with that alongside with the actual technical aspect of the game, people are going to think it's taking away, you know, from from becoming a better player. And a lot of these, you know, coaches and ma- these managers and these upper, you know, the upper management of the organizations, they they look at that and they they don't realize the connection between that and getting the ball into the goal. And so, you know, being able to implement that into organizations more will all start with the, the, the top of the organization and it, making it a, you know, environment where that does feel okay to, to utilize the psychologist. And if, if people want to check out the article, they can do so on topflight.co.uk. Uh, and they can also find links to it at your, on your Twitter handle, at SFC Blake. Um, and that will be there. And, and if people have questions, they can contact you about that and, uh, and, and all of those things. Um, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I think we, I think we covered, uh, most of the, most of the pieces. I, I really do hope that, you know, me, me talking about this is kind of, you know, put, put it into a little more perspective, uh, just looking outside of the tactics and the analytics and looking at these players, you know, as, human beings rather than just these gladiators that go at it every single day, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of my, my goal from this article is being able to, to, to see a different side of the game and, you know, how, how these, how these can be promoted. I really enjoyed reading it and I definitely enjoyed um, talking to you about it. Would you want to stick around just for a, a little bit, just to talk about um, kind of what the saints did on their international duty? Yeah, definitely. All right. So we're going to take a short break, and then we will come right back with part two. Hello, listeners. We'd like to take a second to thank you for joining the show and also to encourage you to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out We Are Southampton on Instagram. Matt also designed the logo for our show and is a supporter of the podcast and of Saints FC. So be sure to check out We Are Southampton on Instagram and be sure to stick around towards the end of the show to find out how you can win a copy of the Bobby Stokes book from my last guest, Mark Sanderson. And we're back with part two. I'm here with Blake Hampton. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at SFC Blake. And it is an international week, so that we don't have a specific match to talk about, but we have plenty of players out on international duty. Um, and so let's take a, a few minutes to kind of look through some of those matches and look at how some of our 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 players have, have done as they've been out there. And, you know, as of right now, I'm not knock on wood that nobody is, is, has come back injured. Uh, 
we do have some guys. We'll, we can start with England that, that got called up. So we have uh, Bertrand, Forrester, who have been kind of mainstays on the squad. And getting their first call-ups for um, England for the senior team are Nathan Redmond and James Ward-Prowse. Um, you know, I think that that's going to be a, uh, a good thing for their development. Did you think they earned that? And then how do you think this is going to affect them as they maybe as they move forward, uh, both at club and country level? Um, you know, I, I personally thought that this was, it, it, they, I think they deserved it entirely. And I, I think that one of the, one of the reasons why they were called up was a little bit of a confidence booster as well as, you know, kind of getting the wheels turning to what the future of, you know, England soccer is going to look like. Um, so I, I don't know if there were any plans established for Redmond and James Ward-Prowse to get regular football out there, you know, during these matches, but just having them on the squad, getting them training with the international team, uh, you know, during this break uh, is the perfect opportunity for them to get acclimated to work with the England team. I mean, James Ward-Prowse, he, he captained uh, the Young Lions, you know, I, I believe it was even as early as last year, and they, they did very well with him as, as the captain. So I think maybe that in itself, you know, warranted a call-up of some kind. But, you know, from the actual perspective of game time, you, you're just wanting them to get some reps out there with the team so that in two, three years, you, you see them and they're they're more comfortable than you could have imagined. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the uh, that's part of what an international manager has to deal with is you don't get a lot of time with the players in between matches and stuff like that. So uh, you have to take those opportunities to get those guys around the squad and and see how they gel and see if they're. You know, if they're at, because I, I think the only way that you're going to really grow is to is to kind of be put in that position, but you have to kind of be ready for it too. And I think that uh, Southgate must have recognized their play over the past uh, few years and and this year, and just said like they're at that 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 level. I think let's see if they are are ready to to kind of step up a little bit. And judging from everything I've read afterwards, they all they all kind of look like they are like. Uh, Redmond seemed to to enjoy himself when he was out there uh, against Germany. I thought Ward Prowse struggled a little bit, but he was playing in the middle again versus where he's been playing out wide right for us recently. So I really think that they are they are there and ready to, to kind of to kind of keep moving on. And I hope that he stays um, at that level with uh, because of course you have um, McQueen and Stevens and um, Matt Target eventually coming coming up through there as well. Yeah, and the, and the and the key to that was, you know, although James Ward Palace may have struggled a little more than Redmond, they both they, they didn't look out of place. They didn't it didn't look too big for them, and that you know I think that's a really big step forward, uh, you know, for Southgate, you know, being able to look and see that the moment wasn't necessarily too big for them against a Germany squad who, is, you know, is is very good, and so you know that, that's really great to see from our perspective and you know, the England internationals perspective, you know, I, I want England to do really well as long as they're not playing in the United States. And so, uh, <laughs> I want, I want James Ward Prowse and Redmond to, to, to do well. And if, and I think this, this is the next step forward. This is the logical next step forward in their careers. And so to see them, to get a chance to see them make that step. And like you said, look like they belong on that pitch with that team against, you know, the defending world champions. I thought that was great because they're, they're, it had to be a huge blow to your confidence if you step out there and just get you know run over because you got no shot. But they didn't they didn't look that way. They look like they belong there, and and I hopefully that means they'll they'll continue to stay there. 
that being said, they both played in the friendly. Uh, Forster didn't didn't get off the bench at all, but um, Redmond and Ward Prowse played uh, in the friendly against Germany. Bertrand played as well. Bertrand played the full ninety against Lithuania in the World Cup qualifier. He played well, but no new news for for James Ward Prowse or Redmond. They didn't come in, but Bertrand kind of just did what he has been doing for us. He's playing attacking. Um, you know, maybe that that connection with Sterling isn't there quite as much as it is with uh, with Redmond because they don't play together as often. Um, but overall, he looked pretty good. Uh, but I don't know if he's going to hold on to that spot once Danny Rose is is fit and healthy. So we'll have to to kind of see about that. A couple other talking points. We have my Ishida, uh, but we'll, we'll kind of bypass that for now. And we'll look at uh, somebody who hasn't necessarily been playing uh, the full 90 for us, but has really been tearing it up on the international level. And that's uh, Dusan Tadic. So did you get a chance to see any of uh, what he created and did over, over the break? Um, you know, I got, I got a chance to, you know, look at a little, I saw his, his goals and you know, a couple of assists and uh, just kind of the box score and his contribution. Um, but this guy is tearing it up for the international side of things. And um, it's, it's scary on a couple of different aspects because he has been, you know, he, he obviously has always had the talent. And uh, apparently there was some news that came out that he was uh, upset with Claude Puel about the amount of game time that he's getting and being subbed off regularly. And uh, it, it may be a bit justified, a bit warranted. I think he's only played, you know, one to three games, the full 90 minutes. And when you see him playing for his national team and being as big of a contributor as he is and starting to get, you know, a little more notice from outside teams that are kind of looking in, um, it, it, it is very intimidating to think that he, you know, is going to get some big offers and we may not be utilizing him the best that we could. Before the World Cup qualifying match, before Friday's match against Georgia, he was involved in all 10 of Serbia's goals scored during, during qualifying. Uh, whether it be an assist or or actually scoring the goal, and in then in this match he scores the penalty and he he assists the next two. So it's just he is like you said he's just lighting it up, and it's kind of like you said he he's getting the things at the international level that he's not getting at the club level, and that's one getting to take penalties because that always seems to get ripped away from him by Charlie Austin or somebody else, and then he's getting the full the full ninety minutes in, and he's you know he's playing an advanced role and he's. Just watching him play, he just looked like he was super comfortable. But even, you know, last year I think he was left out of the squad by the by the former um, Serbian coach, and um, that really he he was outspoken about that as well. And maybe now after watching, maybe Klopp sees him in the role he's playing here and leave him out there and let him let him really do what he what he can do and maybe put him in that same or a similar position. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you know I, I think one of the key things to a player's success is you know having them play consistently and so if you're if you're having you know Dusan Tadic and you're keeping him in the same role and you're giving him the same amount of minutes every single game you know and you're, you're giving him that opportunity uh you know to, to put him in a place to succeed then you, you know you, you want to make sure that that is able to happen before you start pulling him out of the game and I think I think one of his you know big arguments is you know when he, he's getting pulled the last 20 minutes of the game, you know, he, he still feels like he can contribute while everyone else is getting tired on the other side of the pitch. And so, you know, I, I think it's definitely something to uh, warrant in the future is, you know, giving him the opportunity uh, to prove himself, you know, for, for those 90 minutes. And obviously if he, 
you know, if, if something were to go awry from, you know, a couple of matches giving him that full 90 minutes and he proves ineffective, then that's maybe when you, you know, you, you kind of make him work back up for it again. It'll be interesting to see kind of what, what Puel does with him um, coming back off of this break. Maybe uh, let him play a little bit and maybe this gives Tadic some confidence coming back and maybe this also gives Puel some confidence in him to kind of just let him let him play and let him do what he's what he's been trying to do at the international level. I mean, man, we had a lot of players out on international duty, and obviously we <laughs> we didn't have Gabbiadini out there, um, which is extremely disappointing. Yeah, because he had I, just gotten his way back into the squad, you know. Yeah, I I really wish that I could have seen you know what he would have done for the for the Italian squad. Uh, you know, they're 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 very they they have. Tactically, they are very well thought out. And I think that if they found a good way to implement Gabby Adina in it, uh, they, they could be really, really good. <laughs> and so I wish I could have had the opportunity to, to see them with Gabby Adina in the lineup. But uh, I guess that will be for another day. Yeah, and, you know, maybe maybe this is me just being optimistic and, and saying that, well, you know, he didn't get back in the squad, so he hasn't established himself there yet. So maybe he still needs to you know, come back and keep scoring goals for us before uh, he, he really cements his place there. So maybe it'll be good for us in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, if you don't mind, I mean, the, the Republic of Ireland game wasn't really anything I, I, I care to talk about, especially with the, the injury and stuff. Um, you know, Long didn't score. He ran around a lot, um, but that, that was it. <laughs> uh, he, typical Shane Long. But uh, I, I really, I guess, a, a great show of sports, uh, not sportsmanship, but of just – you know, human compassion, uh, getting down there. And I don't know if you saw the article that said he was using, uh, techniques from his wife's labor to help, uh, Coleman kind of get through that nasty break. So, uh, hats off to, to, to long, but I don't, I don't really want to dwell on that cause it's bringing back images. Um, uh, back to Mayashita, there was some talk about him. He captained Japan during their world cup qualifying match against the United Arab Emirates. Um, they won two nil. And then somebody asked on Twitter, do you think he having done this could be the captain of our side. Um, I know where I stand on that, but where, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so kind of the way that I see my Yoshida is he's been the greatest surprise that we could have asked for. Uh, he's really stepped up, you know, when we, when we sold Jose Pont and then when Virgil van Dyke went down, um, you know, there was, there was really only two ways that we could go. And that was a, uh, you know, a serious implosion, that we could have just had the worst defense in the English Premier League, or Mayu Yoshida could step up and uh, be the player that uh, we hoped for. And he has done exactly that. He has been fantastic for us. But one of the things that you need to keep in mind when you're looking at this is this is kind of his peak. You know, this is, this is the best that you will get out of him. And um, when, you, when you look at him out on the pitch, of course, he's, you know, he, he's playing great, but when you're, you're thinking about a captain, you're thinking of someone who's really, really guiding the team, really the heartbeat of that team. And when you look at the heartbeat of the team for Southampton right now without Virgil Van, it was obviously Virgil Van Dyke beforehand. Everything went through him. He was the, you know, the, the captain, the leader of the team. But right now it's looking, you know, uh, Stephen Davis has the captain role, but it's looking a lot like uh, Oriol Romeo, you know, is kind of stepping into that, captain-like role even without the title uh so my yoshida he, he has been a great surprise but he's not the person that you want to captain your team going forward 
especially if you're wanting to improve and be in the top half of the table. Uh, he, he would make a great captain for someone who, you know, is trying to get out of relegation and trying to avoid that at all costs. But he, he's not the person you would want captaining your team uh, for if, if you're wanting to be a successful organization. I have to agree with you. Uh, I do not think that he is the guy I want there really running the line. I think he's a great guy to have in the line, but I don't think he can be the guy in the line. And I feel that way about him and several other players. Um, so it's nothing against him. Um, you know, personally, it's just, uh, even, even his, he and him captaining the Japan squad, it's a huge honor for him, but it was in the absence of their captain who was injured. It wasn't like, this is a, you know, you've earned this. And so you're going to be the long-term captain. This is more of a, a stopgap fill in. So I, I have to kind of agree with, uh, where we're at on that, but I guess one more kind of bigger talking point would be, would be Steven Davis. Cause he is also the captain of, of the Northern Ireland squad. Um, and they won two nil away or they won two nil against Norway at home. Um, Davis is man of the match. Uh, he assisted a second goal. And at the same time, he was also named Northern Ireland player of the year. And he's been kind of playing alongside Romeo at the club level. Uh, do you think that he's kind of cemented that spot at least for the rest of this year? Or do you think that, uh, you know, when I think about the squad, I kind of think there are certain spots that are already set and that spot next to Romeo, I always kind of thought was, was, uh, kind of up for grabs that that Davis was filling uh do you think maybe he is he's the guy that that plays there now that he's earned that spot um there's there's kind of two ways to look at Stephen Davis in my mind I think that he may be the the best player that will never get recognized I think a lot of what he does goes unnoticed uh by most people that are just casually watching the game and I think there's so much more to what he's doing out there on the field. I, I think that for the rest of the season, at least, he has kind of cemented his spot in that role because uh, w- one of the things when you're looking at a 4-2-3-1 formation, uh, having you know the, the two players that are in front of that back four, um, those are probably the most important aspect of that formation. And having those two players being in perfect chemistry and being able to communicate the way that Stephen Davis and Oriol Romeo do, does, that's really hard to just uh, to just throw out there. You know, that's something that definitely has to build and be able to play off each other. Now, I don't necessarily think that Stephen Davis is the greatest captain in the world. I think that that is a little more off of seniority. I, you know, it, it's something that we as fans can't necessarily see. But as I said earlier, I think Oriol Romeo, when you're thinking of a captain, you know, having that vocal leader out there on the pitch, I don't know if, you know, if, if you've ever had the opportunity to, to play with someone who just because of their mere presence, you know, being able to vocalize on the field, you have a good feeling that you're going to be able to win. And that's kind of who you want your captain to be, you know, that leader, that person that you'll go to, you know, that, that will kind of guide everyone on the field and I don't necessarily see that in Steven Davis but I do see him as a very solid player that has cemented that role for at least the rest of the year all right all right so there are a few matches left by the time this episode comes out it will be getting close to the end but there are some matches Tuesday uh, Yoshida has another match World Cup qualifier the rest are just friendly so hopefully Bafal you know gets a few minutes in tries to get back to full fitness hopefully Cedric doesn't have to play another full 90 uh, maybe Shane Long can get back into the the rhythm of scoring if we're all, you know, hoping for the best. That I think that's what happens, um, and then everybody comes back. And then when we, when we come back, we have 
uh, quite a few fixtures we're going to play. I think it's three fixtures in seven or eight days. And of course, we have the non-Derby against Bournemouth there uh, at St. Mary's, host Crystal Palace, and then we go away to West Brom. Um, is there any kind of one player do you think that's going to come off this and maybe have the the maybe maybe an upturn in form for the club uh, coming out of the international break? Or do you kind of just, how do you see these next few games going for us? Because they are um, important. Uh, if you kind of look at the at the standings, you have between us in 10th place and Leicester City in 15th place, that it's only one match between us. And granted, we have some games in hand, but um, it's all kind of, it's all, it's all a little bit too close for comfort at this point. Yeah, you know, there, there's, a, there's a few players that I'd really like to see uh, you know, come back and really step up. Uh, and the first one, kind of how we mentioned earlier with Yusan Tadic, you know, one of the, the, the international break can be the best and the worst of times. And when you see, uh, you know, players such as Dusan Tadic and they hit this great form on international duty, you hope that they can come back with that sort of confidence and get out on the pitch. You know, if Gabby Azzini is going to be injured for a few more weeks at the least, you're going to need someone to step up in that attacking role. Uh, you know, I, I think we maybe we became a little reliant on his ability to score in front of the goal. And then you saw that when Shane Long went on the field for him and he went off sides about 20 times. Um, we really struggled to get into a rhythm up top. And so uh, all of the of our ability and our strategy going forward is going to have to go through Jusan Tadic. And so his ability to come back and build off of what he has done in international play and hoping that he can prove to Claude Grill that he deserves that full 90 minutes. I think that's going to be essential in the, in the, the next few games coming forward because they, the, the next few are very winnable games for us. And, you know, the, I, I think these next three games coming up uh, are going to be the difference between us finishing in the top half and the bottom half of the table. They definitely are a, a crucial a crucial three matches. And this is also, you know, we have the chance to just kind of kick on and, and kind of have a positive run in towards the end of the season because we have some tough games coming up after that. But, you know, I think if you fall too far behind or you, you drop too many points here, uh, the criticism just gets ramped up and then, and then that, you know, nobody wants to kind of, you know, deal with that and sours the mood and all that stuff. So hopefully, you know, the guys come back healthy and, and, and can, can kind of play, uh, similar to how they've been playing at the international level. Cause I, I've been pretty happy with everything I've seen. And, um, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. This has been, this has been great. Hey, yeah, yeah. I really, I really appreciate you having me on and, uh, you know, I'd love to come on another time. Oh, I, absolutely. I will definitely, uh, have you back later on. Um, uh, best of luck to you. And, and thank you once again for joining the podcast and I look forward to talking to you later. Hey, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for, thank you again for having me on. Oh, no problem. Have a good night. You as well. And that does it for this edition of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. I'd like to thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank Blake for joining us. And be sure to uh, check his stuff out. You can find him on Twitter at SFC underscore Blake. He also writes for at Reed Southampton, at Top Flight Talk, and he also runs at 12th Man Sports. So be sure to uh, give him a follow. All of those links are in the show notes. And as we wrap up this international break, hopefully we come back uh, and Saints can kick on and continue to to play at a, at a high level. And um, I said at the top of the show and again at the break that you would have a chance to enter the drawing to win a copy of the Bobby Stokes book. Uh, Mark Sanderson and I have uh, kind of made this this happen. So uh, all you have to do to enter that is go to the URL bit.ly forward slash D-E-L-L underscore I-V-E-R-Y. That is all lowercase. Once again, it's bit 
dot L-Y forward slash D-E-L-L underscore I-V-E-R-Y. That link is also in the show notes. All you have to do is fill out the information there and you will be entered into the drawing. It always helps to spread the show if you uh, tag a friend in a post on Twitter or share the podcast with them. Uh, It is still the month of March. It is still the month that um, most public radio stations and many other podcasts are encouraging others to hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y-P-O-D. So be sure to tag a friend in a post and use the hashtag tripod to help spread the show. And be sure to subscribe to our feed in iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. And remember that until next time, together, we march on.